0: When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations."
1: Have you ever met someone who took their hobby just way too seriously? I think most of us have have met that person. There was one of those people in my hometown when I was a child. Um, My hometown, small town, you drive by like all the houses every day, basically. It's it's not, there's not much to see. And there was always one house that had this jumbo sized garage. Um, It's like I didn't really ever think about it very much, uh, but when I found out what was in the garage, I was like, oh, well, it makes more sense now uh, as to why you would need such a large garage next to your house. Because when I was probably 12, I was in Boy Scouts, we took a scouting trip to this garage, this is starting to sound creepy, but uh, stick with me. And we, we went in the garage and this man had made a replica of our entire town with a train going through it. It was like one of those, he was just super into model trains. I mean, I'm not, it's hard to, it's hard to overstate how into this hobby this man was. The, the garage was like from here to the back of the room. And it was like from here to that. So it was like this portion, just massive model train. This guy was so into it that when he died, he wrote in his will to give it to the town. Now, if I'm a town official and I receive a massive model train, what do I do? Well, instead of listing it on eBay, they decided to turn it into a, <laughs> into a museum and uh, there's not a lot to do in my hometown. And so, like, people drive from all around <laughs> to see this model train. It's really, really, I can't, it actually is very impressive, okay? He's re- he was really into it, maybe a little bit too much into it. And, and friends, I think that we know that there is a thin line between what is an acceptable hobby and what might be a psychosis. <laughs> and I'm not sure what side of that line this man was on, but When we think about the way that the world looks at Christianity, I think that most of our neighbors consider our faith, or the fact that we go to church, to be like our hobby. It's just like one of the things that we do in our part-time. We might even consider it to be almost like a hobby, Most of the outside world thinks, ah, Christianity, it's fine as long as you don't take it too seriously. Because if you take it too seriously, then you cross that line into the psychosis. And many people, when they first approach Christianity, that is the approach that they take it. They just say, hey, I'm going to dip my toe into this. And then they read the Bible, and they see what Jesus has to say. And this man who we worship says things like, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. I've never heard anybody list denying self on the list of their hobbies when you're having small talk. You see, Jesus say something like, if anyone wants to come to me and does not hate his mother and father and his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own wife, he cannot be my disciple doesn't sound very much like a hobby, something that you do in your part-time. Because friends, church, the way of Jesus is not something that we can merely do in our part-time. It is not a hobby. The way of Jesus is a life transformation. It doesn't, it's not just a list of things that you do in addition to what you're already doing, but it's a new way to live. It's a new way to do all the things that you do. It's a transformation from the inside out. It means that you have a new allegiance in life. It means that you have new goals in life. It changes everything. It changes everything. Many of you are familiar with this because you've experienced this. But here we have Abraham. Finally, we're able to call him Abraham. He's been Abram for so long, but he receives a name change this week. And what we see in this passage is God emphasizing this, to follow him is to experience an entire life transformation. Because in this passage, we see Abram receive a new name, a new identity, and we see him after the passage that we just read, if you continue on in the chapter, we see him receive the mark of the covenant, which is circumcision. Um just a wonderful topic to talk about on a Sunday morning here, but we're going to dive into it. All right, so two points today. To be transformed by God means you receive a new identity, and second, to be transformed by God results in absolute commitment. To be transformed by God means you receive a new identity, and to be transformed by God means you—it results in an absolute commitment, it results in an absolute commitment, All right, let's hop in here. Following God requires a new identity. Verse one, when Abram was 99 years old. Now this opens up a time jump for us, okay? Because if you have your Bibles open, you can look at chapter 16. And the last verse of chapter 16 says, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Verse one, chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. So here we have a 13-year time jump between these two verses, and we don't know what happened during these 13 years, but I assume that it was not particularly pleasant. Uh, Hagar had just bore uh, Abram's first child, Ishmael. Sarai, his wife, is still unable to be pregnant, even though they've uh, tried and tried, and God has promised and promised that she will have a child, still no child. They're just getting older, and when we last left Hagar and Sarai, Sarai was, was uh, mistreating her, uh, probably abusing Hagar. And now Hagar's been in this setting for a long time. It's probably just been pretty tense in the Abraham household. But here God appears to Abram again, and he says this, The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of multitudes. Now, uh, this promise that God has given to Abram uh, it's starting to feel old hat. Uh, he's said this so many times. It's basically been the same promise that we saw in Genesis chapter 12 when he first promised to Abram uh, that he would make him into a great nation. It's basically the same promise that we saw him give in Genesis chapter 15, when he told Abraham to, or Abram, to split the animals and to make the covenant and to look into the sky and see the stars. But now God, each time he makes his promise, he gives more reason to believe. And this time he changes Abram's name. He changes it from Abram to Abraham. From Abram to Abraham. Now Abram means father. So every time someone, or father of many, it says Abram means father and Abraham means exalted father or father of multitude. And so with this promise that Abram received from God. Now his name means not just father, but father of multitude. So every time someone says, yo, what's up, Abraham? They're reaffirming God's promise to to Abraham, saying, yo, what's up, father of multitude? And in some ways, it feels like they're just twisting the knife a little bit. Like, hey, I'm not that yet. But God has said, hey, I'm going to give you that gift of a new name so that you'll be reminded that I will be faithful to my promise. Think about what a name communicates. A name communicates your identity. It answers the questions: the question, who am I? Names are a really important thing, especially in Old Testament time. When you read the Old Testament, and many of you are reading the Old Testament right now as we go through it together. Um, as you read the New Testament, one of the things that you might notice in the New Testament, is that you come across a character named, um, named Abimelech all the time. Abimelech pops up. And the reason for that is there's a lot of Abimelechs, okay? It was like the John of the Hebrew area. And the reason why that is is because Abimelech means my father is king. And so, people are all the time claiming to be king, and they're all the time naming their kid, my father is king. Imagine if I named my child, like, my father is the best. Like, that's like a little bit of a conceited way to name your child, but this is what happened all the time. So, people um, would come, and, and it basically means prince, Abimelech, over and over again. Names have this meaning, and changing your name is a really big deal. It's a marker of a new identity. This is why many people change their name when they get married. It's a a tradition in many societies to get get married and to take on a new name. Because when you get married, uh, what you're doing is you're saying, I no longer belong to the household in which I once belonged to, but I belong to a new household. I have a new identity. I'm not the person I was before. I'm in this new family. I have this new identity. It's why when we adopt children, they take on the last name of the family in which they're adopted into. Changing your name is a big deal. Most of us have interacted with someone who has changed their name and it's marked a huge shift in their identity. And that is what's happening here. God is changing Abram's name and it's a shift in who he is. This is one reason why every cult leader, one of the first things they do when they're starting a cult is to give everyone new names when they come into the cult. If you've been in our church for a little while, you're familiar with this story, but uh, it's one that I have to share because it was a very powerful experience in my life. When I was in college, uh, I did not join a cult. Um, (laughs) When I was in college, I took a class called social, Social Psychology. And my teacher, Dr. Hutchins, was a really eccentric dude, as many psychology professors are. This guy, he would like wear a fake mohawk uh, and then like run into, he was the chair of the department, so he could kind of do whatever he wanted to, and he would like, run into another class and he'd have two lightsabers and he'd toss one at one of the students and challenge them to a duel while the other teacher's like, trying to teach. You know? So he's just a, his main research was in bizarre behavior and how people responded to that. And so his theory with social psychology was that you could teach everything you needed to teach about social psychology by studying cults. So what he decided to do was to start a cult in our class. And he said, this class is no longer called social psychology. It's called worship. And you are the monkey shine cult. And I am the monkey messiah. You may not refer to me by Dr. Hutchins anymore. You may only call me monkey messiah. Inside and outside of class. And so if you ran into him in the halls and you were in this class, you had to say, hello, monkey messiah. I saw him at Walmart one time, small town, a rural area. And I was like, I'm going the other way. I don't know. <laughs> uh, on Thursdays, he, it was part of our grade to wear yellow to class and one of the things that he did was he gave us all new names. My name in that class, because I was a, a psychology and a math major, was not very flattering. He called, he called me Rain Man in that class and uh, he just, and everybody got a new name in the class. And what, why a cult leader does that is because they want to give you a new identity. So that you see your previous way of life as dead. And you belong now to that cult. This is now your only place for life. It's a powerful tool to transform someone's identity. And here we have God giving Abram a new name. And he's saying, your name isn't just father. Your name is father of a multitude. It's great father. We see him later change the name of Sarai to Sarah. And I haven't actually figured that one out. I don't know what the two, what they mean different. My Hebrew's like not good enough, I guess. Um, but they both look like they mean princess to me. But the fact is he still feels the need to give her a fresh start, a new beginning. Have you ever felt that same need? That you just need a fresh start, a new beginning. This is what Christianity offers. It offers a new way to answer the question, who am I? In one way or another, we're all trying to answer that question, who am I? Usually we base our identity upon how other people view us. So I will answer the question, who am I, by saying I want other people to see me as someone who's intelligent, someone who's wealthy, someone who has their life together, someone who's attractive, someone who is creative, someone who's successful. I want other people to view me as someone who's responsible, to view me as someone who is easy to be around, who's likable, who's funny. And so when we answer this question, who am I, there's a lot of factors that go into it. But what the scripture teaches us is that when you follow God, the first thing he does is he digs up that foundation of who you are and he gives you a new identity. The first thing he does is he digs up that foundation of who you are and he gives you a new identity. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says it like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away the new has come. Christianity cannot be just a hobby that you do on your weekends. But it has to be something that you say, the old is gone, the new has come. I've been remade. I'm a new person. Christian is either the foundational identity of your life or it's nothing. People who seek God in their part time will never find him. People who just seek God part-time will never find him. You have to come to an end of yourself and be willing to start over. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the the great Welsh uh, preacher, doctor, he said it like this. He said, renewal happens when people come to an end of themselves. Renewal happens when people come to an end of themselves. I think oftentimes we, we think of Jesus like he's the bonus points that get our test over the line to where we pass the grade. Like, I'm a pretty good person, but I really do need Jesus because he gives me those, you know, 10 bonus points so that I I actually can pass. Like, I've run most of this race, but he's going to push me over the finish line. That's not the gospel. That's not what we're here celebrating. What we're here celebrating isn't the fact that he's the bonus points to get our already moral life. What we're here celebrating is that he took the test for us. That we pass, not because we're great, but because he took the test on our behalf. Apart from him, none of us would pass. We all need to be remade by Christ. And here's the thing. I'm not saying that you are as bad as you could be. Because I know what you're doing right now. You're rationalizing. Like, eh, I'm not that bad of a person. I, like, am okay, I'm better than most people. I'm not saying that you're that bad. I, I don't think that our church is filled with serial killers here this morning, okay? At least I hope not. Uh, but what I'm saying is you're not good enough no matter how good you are. And it's not that Christ just needs to bump you over the line. It's that you need a new start. You need a new beginning. You're running the wrong race. You're going your own way. Because to be an enemy of God doesn't mean that you practice Satanism. To be an enemy of God just means that you practice selfishness. Because what does it mean to follow Christ? It means selflessness. Jesus is an example of a selfless person. He's laying his life down for others. That's what it means to follow God. And so if you want to be an animosity with God, if you want to be against God and contrary to his ways, all you have to do is act in your own selfishness and pursue your own desires as opposed to laying down your life for other people. To be someone who's an enemy with God, you don't have to walk around selling drugs to children and kicking puppies. You just have to be selfish. I'm really selfish. I want my way. That is the human plight, is it not? And what the gospel offers us is a new beginning, a way for Christ's selflessness to cover our selfishness and for us to be made new and to receive the name of Christ over our own selfishness. Nothing gives God more joy than saving his enemies. Nothing gives God more joy than to convert his enemies To be a Christian means that you leave your old life behind and you pursue the kingdom of God. You're given a new identity, a new name. You go from enemy to friend. I don't think anyone talked about the change you must go through better than Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Are you guys familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Uh, He was an early 20th century German theologian. He died in his early 40s. Um, He was around during World War II and he started Um, he wrote against the Nazi movement all the way from the beginning. He was always against it. And uh, he actually died because he was put to death because he got captured by the Nazis because he was a part of an assassination attempt against Hitler. And so this prolific author uh, said this about dying to yourself. He said this in, in his most famous book, The Cost of Discipleship. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him. Or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Have you died yet? Have you received a new identity Are you willing to say no to your former ways and yes to the way of Christ? And this is what empowers us and gives us passion to sing the song, All I Have is Christ. We sing the song with some regularity. And it says this, I once, I'm not going to sing it, I'm sorry. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will, And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state and led me to the cross. And I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place. You bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Following God requires a new identity, but it also requires an absolute commitment. And it results in an absolute commitment. After God gives Abram this new name, he gives him the sign of the covenant. Verse 9, read with me. And God said to Abram, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep, between me and you and your offspring after you. And he's repeating himself, making it very clear what he wants to happen. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. I'm not sure when the last time you tried to convince a 99-year-old man to do something new. But I'm pretty sure there's not a bigger sign of commitment that you can ask a man to do at 99 years old than to go and be circumcised. And that's what God is asking Abram to do. The last time I talked to my grandparents who were in their 80s, I couldn't convince them to do anything new. It's like they won't even try computers, okay? This is, this is a big step, a big step. Following God requires an absolute commitment now i know a lot of you are bible scholars and and people who've thought very deeply about this and and you just have great faith maybe you don't need to think deeply about this but when i read the scriptures i come to a passage like this and maybe it's my depraved mind and maybe i need to die to myself more and just trust god but when i come to a passage like this i think why why like, why circumcision? Why is he doing this? Why is God requiring this? I mean, couldn't he just ask for a tattoo or a weird haircut of some sort? Why does he have to ask Abram to do this? I mean, circumcision, it's painful, it's bloody, it's gross, it's kind of creepy, it's very difficult to talk about in front of a lot of people. It's, it's just not something that I would prefer for, to be the way couldn't he have found a different way why, why why circumcision what is this representing what circumcision represents is a cutting away of an old way of life and it has to be that particular area because it's an intimate and bloody thing to have your former way of life cut away it's saying hey the core of who you are is being cut away and you are a new person now It's an intimate, and it's a bloody and difficult thing. Now, for the past few weeks, we've been talking about how if you were in Christ, you are now a child of Abraham. We even sang it. Father Abraham, many sons, many sons had father. Thank you. Um, So, it begs the question, Do some of us need to go sign up for a procedure that's happening? Now, uh, this is like, it's too awkward to even laugh. Okay. Um, (laughs) This was a huge question of the New Testament because what the passage says, what God said to him is, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations will keep this covenant forever is what he says. And so when you get to the New Testament, Jesus opens up the doors for non-Jewish people to follow God. But then it creates all kinds of controversy because the Jewish people are like, wait a second. They need the procedure. They need to receive the same sign of the covenant that we have. They're arguing about this all the time, like the entire book of Galatians. It's basically about this question. If you want to understand the Old Testament, the New Testament, you kind of have to understand this stuff because they're talking about it all the time. In Acts 15, they call the very first church council to address this question. They They get all the heavy hitters. They got Peter in there speaking. They got James, the brother of Jesus. He's getting up there. He's delivering an address. And it's all about, do the Gentiles need to be circumcised? This is a huge question. I know it's not a question that many of you have ever asked, but it was a huge question in this day. It was such a huge question that right after the Jerusalem council, they decided at that council that, hey, if you're a Gentile, you don't need to be circumcised, okay? That, that you're saved by grace, and now baptism corresponds to circumcision. They, they discussed all this stuff, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more, but right after they discussed it, and they settled the matter Timothy is like, yo, Paul, I want to go with you. But Timothy's mother was a Jew and his father was a Gentile. And so he had not received the sign of circumcision. And so he's like, hey, Paul, I want to go with you. And Paul's like, yo, you don't want the smoke. All right. (laughs) Let's just go do it so that people will leave you alone. Okay? it's not he didn't even have to do it. But Paul's like, I'm just going to go do it for you. And so Timothy goes and receives circumcision from Paul just so they don't have to cause all that drama. It's a huge issue that comes up all the time. I think probably the most helpful passage on this is Colossians 2. If you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to camp out the rest of our time here. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11. In him... You all, you, in him also you were circumcised. He's talking to all believers, Gentile believers at this moment. In, in him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Christians today understand circumcision to be a figurative thing that they receive in a circumcision made without hands. Okay, sigh of relief if you were making your appointment. What is a circumcision made without hands? So he continues and he says, this is a circumcision made without hands. Verse 11, second half here. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So the circumcision made without hands is to put off the body of flesh, the old self with which we receive, by, uh, which we receive through the circumcision of Christ. We receive a new self through the circumcision of Christ. Now, Circumcision represented transformation. The old self is gone, is cut away. The new self is here. Your old self and your sin and your selfishness is cut away and disposed with. But in Christ, we experience a new kind of circumcision, the circumcision of Christ. And it's not saying... You you need to read this very figuratively uh, to understand it the way that Paul's intending it to be taken. Because what he's saying is, Jesus... In his body bore the penalty for all of your sins. He was cut away so that you might have a way to know God. He experienced the, the pain and the anguish of the result of your sin. He received the penalty for your sin. And because he received all of that, when you trust in Christ, you receive the circumcision of Christ, which is saying, I'm going to lay my old life down and I'm going to follow him because he experienced the pain on my behalf. He experienced my penalty for me. He experienced the ultimate cutting away of sin as his hands and his feet were pierced and through his death, he's given us new life. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul, the author of Colossians, he's now saying baptism corresponds with the circumcision. So the old sign of the covenant, if you were born into Israel, you would, you would be circumcised. The new sign of the covenant, when you enter into the church, when your life is changed by Jesus, you still need to receive a symbol. That's what Paul is saying. There, the symbolism is helpful, but he's saying that that symbolism, it's gone. We receive circumcision through Christ. We don't need to receive that painful thing anymore because he received the pain on our behalf. Now we can receive a new kind of sign, which is being buried with him in baptism and then raised to new life. So that's what baptism is communicating. Previously, when you would come into the people of Israel, whether you were an adult or a child, you would be baptized. And now when you come into the church, when you have, and you come into the church through faith now, the door isn't through Um, family means anymore. You're not born into it. You must personally own this yourself. You come into the church and you receive the mark of the covenant as you come into the church, which is baptism. And baptism corresponds to this. It's a dying to your old self as you're dunked into the water and a a being raised to new life in Christ as you come out of the water. When I was in seminary, I worked at a church in Louisville that was kind of a, a hip church. Um, and they like to find artistic representations for things. There was an art gallery and in, in they had like a whole art gallery uh, in the church. And um, One of the things that they did, it, it's kind of weird, but it's actually really cool, is they took the same horse trough that we have that we baptize people in, and they built a coffin around it to represent the fact that when you go into that baptistry and you're dunked, You're dying to your old self and you're being risen to new life in Christ. And it's a figurative thing. It's not this thing that's happening at that moment, but it's saying, hey, this is what is true for me. My life has been changed. I'm absolutely committed to Jesus. I've received a new uh, name from him, a new identity from him. The word baptism, it, it means to immerse itself. And so that's why we baptize in that way here, because we we, you lose all of that wonderful um, all, of that, uh, all of that wonderful symbolism if you don't dunk someone in that way. So friends, uh, to wrap things up today, I have just a few points of application, just a few points of application. First, if you 're here and you 're not sure if your whole life belongs to Christ, if you 're here and you 're not sure that you 've made that transformation, if you 've been practicing. Christianity as a hobby, but it hasn't actually changed the core of who you are. Let me encourage you that there's good news, that you're not going to finish that race by yourself, that you need to receive the new life of Christ, that you need to receive the circumcision not made with hands, but the ones that he received, that he bore the penalty for our sins so that we might have life and have it in full. And so that offer is open to you today. I would love to pray with you And then secondly, if you've made that commitment, as many of you have, but you haven't received the symbolism and the sign, the mark of the covenant, that's actually very important, which is baptism. A lot of times we try to, I think that sometimes in the church today, we downplay baptism. We're like, it doesn't matter. It's not a thing. You know, like it's an optional thing. Friends, it's not optional. It's like Jesus tells you to do it. The scripture says, get baptized. What shall we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized, is what they say in Acts chapter 2. It's not optional. It's it's the mark of the covenant. Yes, you are saved before you literally go in. The water is not the saving power of Jesus, but it is an important symbol. And so many of you, since you've trusted in Christ, you have not received that symbol. And I would encourage you to receive the symbol, the mark of the covenant in that way we'd love to celebrate baptism with you in the next couple of weeks. We have warm water that we can fill up the, the baptistry with. And finally, if you've been following Christ for a while, and you've been baptized, let me ask you this question. How have you been tempted to be that lackadaisical about your faith? How have you been tempted to treat Jesus as a hobby and not as an all-consuming thing that you're committed to with all of your life? Have you forgotten your first love? Have you lost the zeal that you once had? Where have you forgotten the great identity that you have received in Christ? Have you lost your commitment to him? Let me encourage you to rededicate yourself over and over each week, to rededicate yourself to following him in full. And we can do that this morning. And one of the things that we do each week is we practice a communion meal. And one of the reasons why we practice a communion meal is it's almost like a covenant renewal ceremony. So when you get baptized, that's like the sign, the mark of the covenant when you first enter them in the water and it marks the beginning of your Christian life. But then as you receive the, the, the elements of the bread and the juice of the wine, you're being reminded of this covenant that Christ bled on your behalf, that he bore the penalty for you. On the night that he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And so as we take from the bread this morning, we're reminded that his body was broken for us. And then he took a cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. And so as we take from the cup this morning, we're reminded that his blood was shed for us. And as we do this, it's a renewal of our commitment to Christ. So be renewed this morning, an absolute commitment. Wherever you call, I will go. Whatever you say, I will do. I will die to myself. Where is God calling you to die to yourself? So that you might be magnified and glorified this morning. Let us stand as we prepare ourselves and as we sing and as we pray. Father, as we come to your table, we pray that you'll be with us, that you'll help us to understand the commitment that you've made to us, and that we might commit ourselves to you once again. As we come to your table, help us to enjoy the presence of Christ in this moment, and uh, Father, we we thank you for sending him uh, so that we might receive the circumcision not made with hands, but the one done by Christ that we might enjoy him and know him. And Father, help us to be absolutely committed to him, that we might look more and more like Christ, dying to our selfish desires and living for you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.